0: So use my discoveries simply to spark your own, to learn, think, and grow in whatever direction that takes you. For this episode of my podcast, I get to interview my amazing, dashingly handsome, new husband of mine, Neil. He's taught me so many things that have changed my life, and I will always be grateful to him for that. And it's an honor and pleasure to spend every day with him. And so I am so excited to bring him to you, my listeners. So welcome to my podcast, honey. Hi. What is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned in your life to date?
1: Well, it took me a very long time until maybe only a few years ago to figure out that i didn't need to take responsibility for other people's reactions to things or what maybe i assumed their reactions would be you know if i had something to tell someone that i thought they would not welcome as good news and I thought they might think it was bad news or it might not make them happy Um, I had a really bad habit of trying to control the way I told it to them or the content of what I told it to them maybe, you know, not change the facts but maybe try and spin them in a way that would make it less harsh or upsetting for them because I really just didn't like upsetting people that was very uncomfortable for me and for years and years and years, I just, I thought that was what, you know, kind people did for other people. Mm-hmm. I just thought that's how you were supposed to break bad news to people, you know, or in, in a lot of situations, it, it, I wasn't aware of how it affected me. I mean, my, generally my thoughts about it were mostly concerning, you know, how other people might react to, negative news or a bad situation, but I was really pretty oblivious about how it affected me personally, and it took a long time for me to realize that it was doing a disservice to other people in my life by not just being honest with them. You know, I, I hadn't learned yet that you can still be kind to someone and be honest at the same time. And that sometimes the kindest thing you can do to someone is to really be honest with them. I had no concept of that, or very little concept of that, or was very afraid of that until recently. As exemplified by several very bad situations I got myself in over the years, where it all boiled down to my fear of telling someone something I thought they would interpret as bad news.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think that's something that we're learning together because as you know sometimes in my past relationships or often in my past relationships with everybody i guess in my life sometimes i would it's, it's not like i would lie but i would not tell the whole truth about something i would just tell the amount that i thought they could maybe handle and then i would also spin it in a way where it was not i don't know it was just wasn't being completely honest and That definitely did them a disservice because they didn't realize how I really genuinely felt about something or they didn't realize the whole extent of the situation. And then, you know, it had disastrous consequences because eventually the whole truth came out or how I really felt about it came out after a long time. And then it just kind of blew up in my face every time. So. Yep. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Sounds awfully familiar. Yeah, the the part about, you know, only telling a part of the real story, that kind of lit up my brain a little bit, because that's something I definitely used to do as well. Yeah, I don't think I realized the value until recently of how being truly vulnerable with someone and really, truly opening up to someone... Um, especially if it's about something that we're not perfect, right? I'm certainly not perfect. And if I've made a mistake that's hurt someone else, you know, old me would try and, you know, tell them about it, you know, in the way that I, I thought was most amenable to them. And, you know, like you said, maybe only tell them a part of the truth, uh, and leave out the part that I thought was either unnecessary for them to know, or maybe, extra painful for them to know and not necessarily beneficial to them to know. And somehow I thought that was better. But what I didn't realize until much later is that there's a side effect of that. And the side effect is that people can tell you're not being completely honest. Yeah. And you come across as inauthentic. And, you know, you're, you're telling some someone something in a situation like that that's likely going to damage some trust in your relationship. And by not being completely honest and authentic with them, you are further damaging future trust in the relationship. Because you know their spidey senses are tingling when they're hearing you say something like that, and all of a sudden, now everything you say in the future, they may have more trouble believing. Yeah. And that's you know, like I said, it took me a long time to figure that out. I would have other people do it to me, and. You know, I maybe wasn't conscious of what was going on, but there was some part of me that, you know, could tell, like, I don't know if I completely buy what they're telling me. Like, something seems a little off, and I'm not Mm -hmm. sure how much I fully trust this person. Um, And it would... I think it would damage my relationship with that person a little bit. It's not something that couldn't potentially be repaired, maybe. But depending on the situation, sometimes maybe it couldn't. Yeah. Because I felt, you know, on some level... You know, this person is coming to me and telling me, um, you know, something that's, that's painful, but yet I still feel like I'm being lied to. And it never really occurred to me that, you know, someone I was talking to might feel the same way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't think, I don't think that means we need to tell everybody everything, but sometimes I think it's. If we don't want to say everything, you know, we could say something like, you know, there's more to it, but that's all I'm comfortable with sharing, mm-hmm. or this is all I feel ready to share right now, or something like that. Because then that's authentic, like that comes across as authentic, and they don't have to be wondering now, like, why they don't feel like they entirely trust us, or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think the other part of it is the kind of like phase... Phase one is, is, you know, or lesson one, I guess, is kind of learning that it's, it's better to be honest with people in vulnerable situations, especially if you personally make a mistake that, you know, you know has hurt someone else and you feel like you need to tell them that it's best to be honest with them. But phase two, which I think is a way harder lesson, is To not try and control their reaction, and to allow them the space to react the way they feel like they need to. Because, you know, people are entitled to feel how they feel about whatever it is, and regardless of whether or not I agree with their reaction, or the severity of their reaction, or I think they might be blowing something out of proportion um and overreacting to a situation that maybe I personally think isn't as big a deal, um, that was a really big lesson was learning that because I don't think something is a big deal doesn't mean that something isn't a big deal to someone else. Yeah. And that my thoughts on someone else's feelings are pretty much irrelevant. Yeah. And that I needed to learn to allow people the space to you know, have their reaction and have their feeling, um, however they needed to, and to not, and this, I mean, that's really hard to do, especially if you're telling something, someone something you know is, is going to hurt them, and it's someone you really care about, and, you know, most people's first reaction is to want to, like, console them or, like, you know, hug them or hold them or be there for them, but that's often the last thing they want in that moment. I mean, it doesn't mean they won't want that an hour or a year or a decade from now, but you know, you've, you've basically just told someone something that hurts them. And then, you know, I think it took a while to figure out that maybe <laughs> what felt in the moment, like it was being motivated by a desire to kind of like ease the pain for them or, you know, help them feel better and console them may also be on some level motivated by like a personal desire to feel like the other person isn't hurt as much.
0: Yes. Or for me, I know that that instinct sometimes comes from wanting to ease the discomfort of having hurt somebody you love or the discomfort of somebody being mad at you. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I've mentioned this in another podcast, but in those situations, I used to always, almost always kind of invalidate what I just said or backtrack a little bit or, you know, just say, Oh yeah, well, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. Never mind. Sorry. I brought it up, or, yeah. <laughs> which is totally a invalidating myself. And what I just shared, but also it's hard to explain, but there's just, it's hard to be comfortable in discomfort and especially Uh somebody else's discomfort. And especially when the discomfort is aimed at you, (laughs) Yeah. but it's so important. It's so important in those moments to just not do those things and just validate them and validate and respect them. And let them have their reaction Mm -hmm. and own that as, as part of your experience, I guess. Yeah. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think that that's even part of a, you know, there's a lot of (laughs) public conversation now in the world about what is involved in a real apology. So, you know, you've, you've wronged someone in a way or another. You've hurt them in some way or another and you recognize that that has happened and you want to apologize to that, that person or a group of people or whatever it is. And it's something I put a lot of thought into lately because I do, you know, keep fairly well informed on the news and particularly in the case of, you know, the Me Too movement and, um, you know, all of these you know, transgressions of men in all kinds of workplaces or personal situations becoming public, um, you know, and it's not always clear that, that in every case where there's an accusation made that there's an actual, that that's a valid accusation, but, um, setting that aside and not getting into that because I don't think it's related to the conversation, but, um... There's some obvious cases where, you know, the, a victim makes an accusation or makes public a story, tells their story about, you know, something that happened to them and the victimizer acknowledges it and apologizes. But, you know, then there's this whole secondary conversation about like, well, is that a real apology? Is that an authentic apology? Did they mean it? And I've been really fascinated by that because it's kind of made me ask what constitutes an authentic apology. And I think that, to me, what constitutes a real, authentic, meaningful apology to someone else is, like you said, taking full accountability for your responsibility in it. And if you've hurt someone, not trying to spin it any other way, Not trying to paint it over with a, you know, a more pleasant brush. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to dive into, like, the nitty-gritty of whatever it is you've done, but, like, openly acknowledging to the person, look, I, I did this. Um, I feel, you know, like it was a bad thing to do now. I recognize that it hurt you. And... I want you to know that, you know, this is something I am sorry about. I regret doing it. Um, I don't want to do it again. And I acknowledge that you are allowed to react to this news however you need to react. And my job is to, you know, accept that reaction. I don't have to agree with it, but I'd have to accept it and allow them the space to react the way they want or need to react yeah and I think I, I spent a good <laughs> probably 20 years of my life living in fear of other people's reactions
0: yes how did you get over that or like how what, <laughs> what's what triggered the shift
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> well I don't know exactly how it happened. I know when it happened in particular. Um if I think about it as, you know, my life as a whole, I think that I was just raised in a culture, you know, my family and friends and, you know, school and everything around me where the conflict was discouraged, I think, would be the right way to say it. Where Especially, you know, public conflict. And so I didn't have a lot of experience growing up with how to resolve conflict.
0: Right.
1: Um, and so I think what I had learned from that without anyone necessarily, you know, specifically teaching me, you know, this is how you handle these situations. But I think what I had subconsciously learned was that you should just do everything you can in your power to avoid conflict.
0: <laughs> right uh, i think a lot of us are taught that
1: yeah that's not uncommon i think it's a cultural thing like you know we don't
0: or a uh, generational thing mm, i don't I think know. more it's, cultural i
1: think it's more cultural i think certain cultures are more accepting of it than others mm-hmm. um but you know you don't you think about being out in public and if you know two people are having a, a fight or a spat that that's like a thing you would go home and tell people about because you're like, oh my gosh, guess what? I just saw at Starbucks today, or right, you know, because it doesn't happen every day. Yeah, but there are certainly cultures in the world where that's a lot more common. Yeah, where people yell at each other. Yeah, that's. Um, you know, I can remember growing up in Europe, um, being a little more surprised when we traveled around Europe at some cultures where, you know I didn't necessarily understand what was going on, but it was very clear that like, oh, people were having a fight. Right. Uh, and it was public. Yeah. But even, even growing up. Uh, like, my parents never fought in front of my brother and I. That was not a thing we witnessed, so I don't mm-hmm. think we had any idea, you know, how people in a healthy marriage resolved to fight, because they certainly were in a healthy marriage. I mean, we still are. Yeah. Um, and same thing with, like, you know, immediate family. I mean, I did have some kind of, um, I guess you could call them adopted family, but friends of my parents that we kind of, like, called aunt and uncle, but weren't... Blood relatives, but we were close to. Um, in particular, I can remember like one couple that fought like crazy. I'd never seen anything like that. And like every time I I, I saw them fight like that, I assumed that that was like the end of their relationship. <laughs> and I, I that's how I lived out most of my relationships until my late twenties. I don't think I'd ever had a fight in a relationship hmm. because I just thought that having fights Mm -hmm. like that, that got that out of control or got that personal or where people said hateful things to each other. I thought that's what ended relationships. Right. You know, you would see stuff like that in movies, I guess, or read about it in books. And it was always like this horrible thing. And somehow sometimes relationships survived it, but I didn't know how. Yeah. And I think maybe the catalyst for me was a particular relationship I had where I can remember saying to one of my best friends who likes to remind me of this every once in a while, like, you know, a month into this relationship, I can remember saying to him, man, like, I think this relationship's really awesome because, you know, we fight. And, it like, the relationship isn't over after the fight. Right. And, you know, in hindsight, that is almost a hilarious Anecdote, because here I was a month into a relationship, talking about how great it was that we could fight, uh, instead of looking at the giant red flag that was <laughs> we were fighting a month into a relationship, and they were like not small fights, they were big right. fights. But I was just so you know enamored by the concept that one could f- fight in a relationship, and that that fight might not be the end of the relationship. Yeah, I'd never experienced that before. It was new. It was shiny. It was. <laughs> Seemingly magical to me at the time. Yeah. But that particular relationship, I think, was the catalyst for me learning, you know, these couple of lessons because as a result of, you know, several changes throughout the course of the relationship, I think in me and in this other person, um... It, you know, it came to a point where I think I was aware of the fact that, you know, it's interesting because the relationship I'm talking about right now is a romantic relationship, and now that I'm talking about the relationship, and in somewhat anonymous terms, I'm realizing that I was also in the middle of a business relationship at the same time that was very similar. Oh. And hmm. there's an incredible amount of similarities between them. So maybe it was actually a couple of relationships, you know, like a business relationship and a romantic relationship where, you know, similar things were happening that were making me kind of more self-aware, you know, but I think particularly what made me wake up a bit more to this was, um, you know, in this romantic relationship that lasted just, you know, under three years. 18 months into the relationship, we started going to couples counseling
0: Yeah,
1: and the counselor, I can remember going to couples counseling and I didn't go to couples counseling. I was never afraid of counseling. I'd been to therapists before and they really helped me. Um, but I can remember at the time we decided to go to counseling, I wasn't going to counseling with the thought that I needed to take responsibility for whatever it was in the relationship that wasn't working that was my responsibility and and resolve it. I was very much going to therapy uh, or couples counseling under the guise that I knew that my partner at the time had some issues she needed to resolve that predated our relationship. And she was very much not willing to go to a therapist on her own to deal with them. And so I thought, well, if I go with her to couples counseling, she'll get some exposure to it. And I know it won't be the end of the world. And maybe something positive will come out of it for our relationship. Mm-hmm. And, but more importantly, my motivation originally was, well, maybe she'll get comfortable in that situation and realize that, oh, maybe she can go talk to someone on her own about her own issues and that will help her.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> um, but I legitimately thought I wasn't a problem in the relationship. Well, it turns out it didn't take very long to figure <laughs> out that I was, you know, I had my own set of problems that I brought to the relationship that were mm-hmm. causing surprise, issues. Surprise! Surprise! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm not perfect. Oops. Um. But one of the things, you know, now that you ask the question of like what caused that shift in my thinking, and I think it came, you know, near the end of the relationship, you know, just before it ended, um, we had had a a session booked with this therapist, and she couldn't make the session. She had a work conflict, and so I went on my own. And this had happened once before, where she went on her own, and I couldn't make it because of a work conflict. So, you know, I went and sat with this therapist, and it was a totally different session than the ones previous. You know, he asked me some really good questions, and kind of what, what came out of it was... The realization that, you know, for some time I had not wanted to continue to be in this relationship. But I had stayed in the relationship mostly, A, out of fear of her reaction. What would happen if I ended the relationship? But also because, you know, I felt maybe um, vainly or a little egotistically at the time, although there's definitely some truth to it. I felt that she was pretty financially dependent on me in the relationship. And, um, you know, she had been making some changes in her life that would would shift that a little bit. And she might be able to support herself financially a little more. And so some part of me was telling myself, well, I should just stay in this relationship a little longer. Um, because, you know, it's not the end of the world for me. And if she can just get her feet underneath her, you know, then if I end it, she won't be screwed, basically. Yeah. Some part of me felt really bad about the situation she might be in if the relationship ended. And the therapist really helped me realize that, um, as much as I interpreted that as, you know, that scenario is cruelty, just ending the relationship and letting her figure it out. That one way to look at that scenario was I would be cruel to end the relationship. And it might be, you know, I might think it was hurtful to you know, basically send her out into the world to figure it out on her own. But the, another way to look at that situation was that it was selfish of me and hurtful of me to continue a relationship under false pretenses. You know, pretending that I was, whether I was consciously aware of it or not, the reality was, I think I was aware of it from that point on, that I was not invested in the relationship. I didn't want it to continue. I wanted it to end. Um, I was just waiting for the right time. And that maybe it, you know, some people might consider it more hurtful to continue the relationship Mm -hmm. and to not allow that person to, you know, have the truth about how I felt about the relationship and to be able to make their own decision. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in the end, it wasn't too much longer after that that, you know, we actually broke up in a therapy session, which was (laughs) kind of ideal because you have like a controlled mediator there. But, um, you know, it was, it was a real revelation to me that, you know, this person in my life had been one of the most expressive and often violently (laughs) emotional people. And I just assumed that, you know, if I ended the relationship, all hell would break loose. And I think I was really trying to avoid that conflict, you know, you know what they say about assumption. Yes. In, in you know, in, in reality, I think what I learned was that, you know, it wasn't a, a painless experience um, by any means, but it also wasn't half as bad as I thought it would be, or I assumed it would be. I had imagined a doomsday scenario that was way worse <laughs> than what it was. Yeah. And it wasn't super pleasant, but it also could have been much, much worse, and And I think it was better because I had the help of the the counselor in this situation a little bit to just kind of say how I felt and let her process that information and let her react how she needed to react. And from that, I was able to learn that, okay, this is not the end of the world. You know, okay, this might be the end of this relationship, but, you know, now we're each free to pursue what we really want and we're not stuck in a relationship fooling each other that, you know, this could work out. I think we both knew that it wasn't going to work out. And with hindsight over time, I looked back on that and realized that, okay, that really was the better outcome and that, you know, handling that conflict the way that, it got handled was better for everyone involved. And then that slowly started to seep into more and more of the situations where I had to handle conflicts like that, you know, to the point where thankfully by the time you and I met, um, you know, when when we first started dating, things weren't buttery smooth necessarily. Mm, They weren't, you know, it was just, there were some complicated circumstances (laughs) But by then, somehow, I felt comfortable enough with uncomfortability and with um, being really honest and authentic with someone that I was able to do that with you, and I think that simplified what could have been a much more complicated, much more messed up situation than it was.
0: Definitely. That's something I really love about our relationship. In fact, I just said that to you yesterday. Maybe you had said something that kind of made me feel anxious and you apologized for it. And I said, no, like that's your right to say what you need to say, regardless of how it makes me feel. And you and I are really good at reminding each other of that. Like that it's, you know, it's your right to say something that hurts me or makes me feel, or you know, causes a reaction within me, mm-hmm. and vice versa. And I really love that. And I think we're both decent at taking responsibility for our reactions.
1: Yep. And that's something that, I mean, to this day, it still kind of amazes me every time it happens. Like every time we have a kind of conversation like that, it's not the easiest conversation where one of us is upset about something or anxious about something. And, you know, we have a conversation. We don't necessarily resolve the root of the issue. There may still be some anxiety or somebody might still be upset at the end of it. But that's still something that's so new to me. That this is, you know, our relationship is the first relationship where basically through its entirety, that has been the standard. Yeah. That, you know, we can say things to each other That they're never meant to be hurtful. But we, you know, something is bothering one or the other of us, which is going to continue throughout the course of our relationship (laughs) because we're people. Um, But if if something is bothering one or the other of us, we can bring it up with the other person and we can know that we will be heard and that we won't be invalidated. And the other person may not be able to immediately fix the problem, but they will at least be aware of it and you know, we both know that we're, for the most part, considerate people, and now we're aware of the things that are, you know, bothering each other, and we can keep those in mind, and we can be more respectful of, you know, the things that trigger the other person, or, or you know, they might even be just acute things that only last for a little while, or they could be something that is throughout the course of our relationship, but you know, if there's one thing I wish everyone in the world could learn, it's that. Because the feeling of that in a relationship is something that is so... I can't even find the words for it, but it's not... It feels like there's never any friction in the relationship. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's tiny little bits that, that build up, but because we quickly recognize them you know, within a relatively short amount of time and have a conversation about them, that friction kind of dissipates.
0: Yep.
1: And it's like, you know, it's like a set of boots. You get a new set of boots and you break them in. And I think this is the case with any relationship, right? As you break them in, there's spots that can cause friction. Yeah. And if you don't do anything about them, if you just continue to wear those boots and you don't address... The issues, you will get blisters, yeah. and they will be painful, and you will no longer continue to wear those boots, and you will have to divorce those boots. Yes, yeah. those <laughs> boots will end up either in a landfill or a fire somewhere because yeah. no one can keep walking in boots with blisters. Yeah, but you know, if you if you do little trial runs and you recognize that, like, okay, ooh, that's a friction point, and then you address that, you know, and obviously a relationship is like more than a boot in it. The yeah. boot, you in the boot. Or both people, and You're you can both other... adjust to each other. <laughs> You're my other boot. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then who are the feet? Like, we just ruined the metaphor. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that it's really, it's an incredible feeling, you know, and, and I'm certainly most grateful that the relationship that has benefited the most out of me learning this lesson is ours. We yeah. have. But it certainly doesn't stop with our relationship. No. It extends into work relationships and relationships with friends. You know, like i'm I'm so incredibly grateful now that I have friends that I was, you know i've I've had close friends for decades, you know, that I always felt close with, but only recently, you know, after having learned, some of these lessons was I able to really kind of connect on a deeper level with some of these friends because, you know, there were these friction points that for years and years, I, I just ignored because they weren't in my face enough to have to address head on. And now I think I've just realized that it's not, life's not worth living in fear of someone else's reactions. If you tell them like, Hey, you know, that thing that you do a lot of the time, that's you know, it sucks me or it hurts me or, um, I prefer if you didn't do that and here's why. And, you know, letting them react to that. And sometimes their reaction is going to be, well, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway, but Hey, at least you had the conversation about it. And it takes yeah. away the friction of you being upset every time they do it and thinking, why didn't I say something? Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I think more often they'll realize, Oh, I didn't know that it affected you that way. Um, I'll keep that in mind. And then sometimes, you know, it opens up an entirely new conversation because they absolutely had no idea. Yeah. Maybe it's something they weren't even aware that they did. Yeah. And so sometimes maybe you're doing someone a service by having these, what we think of as difficult, potentially conflict-causing conversations.
0: Yeah.
1: But it's also, I think, really important to remember that, you know it's all about how you have conversations like this and it's all about being very respectful of both individuals in the conversation and respecting people's right to feel how they feel you know like we said before you know and if 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 you have someone in your life where you know there's a source of conflict you know like your sister does something that drives you absolutely insane. And you've never said anything about her to her for 10 years, but every time you get together as a family, you want to wring her neck because Mm -hmm. she just keeps doing this thing. You know, the way to to deal with it is not to be like, Hey sis, I hate when you do this, stop doing it. You know, the way to, to do it is, is to be authentic and be vulnerable and communicate to the other person that you are, um, you're making yourself, it's not an attack. You're, you're making yourself vulnerable and you're exposing your vulnerability and you're, you're letting your guard down and then they, they can just sense that you're not coming at them um, aggressively and they don't have to get their defense up and then they can hear you and they can hear what you say and most cases, I would say overwhelmingly, the majority of the time, empathy kicks in and, you know, people will at least hear what you have to say And they'll quite often react fairly calmly.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, it may not get resolved right then, but it's a step in the right direction.
0: Yeah. The lesson that you started with at the beginning was that we need, basically we need to say what we need to say and allow other people their reaction and that's okay, whatever their reaction is, right? Yep. Is there anything else that you want to say on the subject that you don't feel like you've shared?
1: Not that immediately comes to mind. Should we acknowledge the fact that we're recording this in my parents' cabin closet and it is sweltering hot in here? (laughs) It is sweltering hot. Because we're very close to the roof of a very hot house. (laughs)
0: I think there's one other thing I want to say, and that is, you know, you kind of briefly mentioned this, but we were taught that kind people, if you're kind, you don't hurt others. I think a lot of people don't say things because they're afraid of hurting someone else. But you and I have often said that you have a right to say something that hurts me. and I have a right to say something that hurts you because That might hurt less in the long run. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's like, who are we to determine what is going to hurt somebody less or more?
1: Well, that's the point. We can't.
0: Yeah. That's for them to determine. Right. So we need to be honest and just let them know where we're at. And I don't know. I think the truth is that we're going to hurt people. (laughs) And other people are going to hurt us and that's just kind of the way it is
1: yeah and living in fear of that is not a way to live for anybody yeah i, I mean you you made a good point that it's not up to us to decide whether or not another person or, or how another person should feel about something it's up to them to feel how they feel about
0: it mm-hmm.
1: and i think that So one part of it is, you know, what right do we have to to determine another individual's response to something, which is basically none. But an important lesson that, you know, this couple's counselor taught me was to flip the scenario in my head and put myself in the other person's shoes and ask myself, is this information I would want to know or not?
0: Oh yeah, that's and good. That's a good. I question.
1: cannot think of a, a case since then where I have asked. I've gotten to a point where I've asked myself that question, and the answer has been no. I don't want to know this information. In every single case, the question has been, "Yeah, I think that's important information. That if I were the other person, I would want to know to make it, decisions with." You know, I think that it's it's easy to fall into this pattern of you know, whether it stems from people pleasing or just, you know, conflict avoidance or, or what these cultural things that we don't maybe get explicitly taught, but we pick up on these cultural cues. It's very easy to fall into a pattern where, you know, we think our motivations are one thing, right? We think our motivation Mm -hmm. is is trying to be kind to somebody (sighs) else. Right. Um, but if that were really our motivation, if we really flip the scenario around and we asked, okay, what's what would be the kindest thing if I were on the other end of this situation? If I'm the person who doesn't know this piece of information and somebody else knows it. Mm-hmm. Would it be kinder for them to not tell me? Or is that information I would want to know and it might upset me at the moment, but at some point in the future, I would be thankful and grateful that they told me that piece of information about that. Like, I think this it's important to, to make a distinction that, you know, this what we've been talking about doesn't necessarily apply to, like, I have a piece of information that you don't have. Um, whether or not I should tell you that piece of information. It's not necessarily so much about that. Um, because I think there's all kinds of scenarios in which it would be better if you didn't have that piece of information. Maybe you don't yeah. need to know that. Um, you know, maybe it might be hurtful to you, but it doesn't really affect you personally. It's about somebody else or whatever. Yeah. But I think where this really applies is it's something between you and I, between person A and person B, between their relationship. It's something pertaining to their relationship. Um, You know, it's how one person feels about the other in their relationship or how it's something that one or the other does in the relationship affects their relationship. And it's a personal part of the relationship to one or both of the people in the relationship. And I think that's where these lessons apply. And it's, you know, maybe important to make that distinction that it's not universally it's, it's really about, you know, in a relationship between two people where there is some source of friction or anxiety or tension and there is a desire to resolve that anxiety or tension, you know, how do you approach having difficult conversations, you know, that might not be easy without, you know, just avoiding them and hoping that situations will solve themselves.
0: Yeah, because situations don't solve themselves. No, they
1: never do. <laughs>
0: as long as we wait and as hard as we hope for, <laughs> they don't solve themselves.
1: But I think it's easy. You know, it's funny because I think I lived most of my life thinking that sometimes situations did resolve themselves. But when I look back now, I realize that the situation never resolved themselves. Circumstances changed that yeah. made the problem go away. Yeah. But the problem didn't go away on its own. And it wasn't going to go away on its own. And if those circumstances hadn't changed, I would still be dealing with that problem today.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's Um, me too.
1: And so just because sometimes, you know, life events happen and circumstances change and what was a source of friction suddenly isn't a source of friction currently. And that's something that's happened a couple of times in my relationships with friends. Um, You know, there was one in particular where a very good friend of mine, you know, that I care about a great deal, there was a definite source of friction in our relationship. And I was very resentful of some things in our relationship for a while, but I just, I couldn't bring them up yeah. because I didn't want to hurt him because I thought it would be hurtful. And, you know, at the time when, you know, this particular behavior was going on in our relationship, I was really upset about it. And I was, you know, I was venting to other friends about it, which wasn't necessarily healthy. Instead of dealing with it head on with this person, I was, you know, dealing with with every other person in my relationship, in my life, every other relationship in my life heard about it, but they could do nothing to solve it. And I wasn't doing anything to solve it. And it wasn't until, you know, some circumstances changed to where, you know, this source of friction was basically not an issue in our relationship for a while. And that's when I finally brought it up with them. Because I was able to be more rational about it and calm down about it because it wasn't something that was affecting me on a daily or weekly mm-hmm. basis all of a sudden it was like hey remember you know this thing that was going on a while ago a couple of months ago this is how I was feeling at the time and this is you know this is how why it made me feel this way and I'd like to resolve this because even though it's not a current issue you know that sometime in the future I can see that it might be an issue and I don't want to go back to that
0: yeah yeah I think the key in this particular um, part of our conversation, the key is it is not helpful or healthy to wait until circumstances no, change so that you can not. then deal with the source of friction. But if circumstances happen to change, instead of just being, instead of just thinking, Oh, I'm just glad the friction's gone. Maybe recognizing that, it might still be a good idea to talk about it and resolve Mm -hmm. it before that might come up again in the future. Yeah. So yeah, no waiting for circumstances to change, is not bad policy, bad policy. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you so much, honey. You're very welcome. Thank you for sharing with people that listen to my podcast. I love you so much.
1: Mm, I'll be too. Also, we need to exit this hot box of a closet.
0: (laughs) This is Phoebe. Thank you for listening to My Messy Lessons. If you'd like to continue this discussion, visit my Facebook group called My Messy Lessons The Community and ask to be accepted into it. I would love to hear about your experiences or questions on these subjects. If you like this podcast and want to get each episode as it comes out, remember to hit the subscribe button on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. If you have questions, comments, or would like to access the show notes, please visit my website at www.mymessy.com. The intro and closing music is Never Back Down by Floor Broad. See you next week. And remember, we're all messy. That's what makes us beautiful.